We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan retrospective for series 12, Bite 2, the second half of the series, which is probably a bit better than the first, hopefully. Uh, I'm Ian Symes and with me still is John Hall. Hello. Can you, do you so, want to do, that, do again? that again? Yes. <laughs> no, really First line of the podcast. Why did you say that? Right, well. right go on. Uh, John Hoare. Hello. Tanya Jones. Hello. And Daddy Stevenson. Hello. And so, uh, having finished uh, our discussion, hopefully forever, of Time Wave, <laughs> uh, let's move on to Siliconia. Uh, episode. No. What? No. 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 Which but I, actually, I'm going to keep one. that. Yeah, in. I was going to say keep that in because that is <laughs> the uh, two, actually an important point. The, those episodes that are entirely interchangeable. Yeah, <laughs> they both could fit for either, and yeah, yeah. yeah slightly don't. Macocracy is a really. I remember making a joke out of it when we were doing the live dwarfcast. But is that how, actually how it's pronounced? It's not a word that's I mean, used. I mean, there's meritocracy. So if it's that way around, macocracy, like, like macocracy, yeah. macocracy. It's not, how would you make it? Well, how me- else me- would you me- say me- it? Mecha Cressy. Mecha Cressy. Me choc racy. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay, so we've established the name. That's but it's good. difficult to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It is it's a bit of a Matty and Macocracy. It's a strange one. But it's the, it's the one with the election. Yeah. Uh, but it starts in quite a bold way <laughs> for, for any sitcom. Uh, but particularly for Red Dwarf, with just one character just sitting on his own doing nothing for a good 45 seconds. <laughs> yes, and laughing at what seems to be nothing actually going on. When yeah. Obviously, the audience are quite excited yes. by the fact that you know they're watching an episode of Red Dwarf, therefore anything that he does will be funny, but he isn't doing anything. It's just the weirdness of it, I think. Yeah. It is the best opening of the series to this point, Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah, uh, And the, it's not crap. <laughs> And it goes into um, what seems at first like a little standalone sketch of um, Crichton persuading Rimmer or tricking Rimmer into doing the mopping duties for him. Um, But then it gets revealed in the next scene that that was actually what, you know, there was a reveal that it wasn't the patient's course he was waiting for, it was the manipulation one, and that Crichton had done this deliberately. And that improves the previous scene. Absolutely does. They both kind of stand alone, and there's there's two big punchlines, but them having them both together also sets up a kind of a theme of the episode of setting Crichton and Rimmer against each other as enemies. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, thematically, it's actually quite good. Mm. Yes. When Red Dwarf, modern day Red Dwarf, often gets criticised for having uh, kind of standalone scenes that don't really connect and feel a bit interchangeable, uh, actually this one uh, deserves praise for being thematically linked and just being good as well. Yeah. But the. I was always. Like, even the synopsis for this episode kind of worried me a little bit because it does feel very not Red Dwarf at all. It doesn't like politics and. It's a very strange way of getting an episode out mm. about politics, but it's like, I don't really know what. Yeah, thankfully, I think on many levels, it turned out to be the what it was sort of parodying or satirising was the 
the circus around politics yes. rather than taking on any specific mm-hmm. party or, or ideological thing. It's just about the the hype and the spin rather well, than anything else. We were having well, you were talking to me when we were watching it about it's odd to see um, the presidential stuff being done in a British sitcom. On the other hand, we don't have really anything similar in the UK. Mm. In terms of iconography. Iconography, yeah. There's no real thing. It's a lot lot lower key. (laughs) Yeah, we don't do attack ads. No. No. I mean, the one bit... We've got rules. The one bit of um, (laughs) iconography that is iconography, isn't it? That's a word, yes. Yeah. (laughs) The only bit of iconography I can think of in terms of British elections is um, what Monty Python uh, satirised. It's the returning... Uh, of the vote, the yeah. turning of the election, which is fine, but there's that one thing I can't think of the rest that goes with it. You haven't got the kissing yeah. baby <coughs> stuff as much. It's not as straightforward. There are still things there, but it's not as clear. And you need something kind of very clear and sharply defined and kind of stereotypical in a way to make it work. And that's the US elections. Yeah, it's, not it's ours. kind of taking the best bits of both as well. There are some. Um, the going and meeting and chatting to voters is more of a British thing than an American thing, from what I know. Um, but yeah, the debates is obviously something that we've taken, but it was very much an American style debate. Mm. It wasn't like ours in that there weren't massive arguments about who should be on it for months beforehand. <laughs> it made the whole thing tedious. <laughs> One thing I had noticed that I uh, noticed on this time round is Crichton. Uh, it's quite clear that Crichton doesn't care about the vending machines either. <laughs> start. Uh, you could have fallen into a trap there where you made Crichton A, far too pure and far too nice and B, made him talk about things that he doesn't usually talk about but when we've been in an abandoned ship situation in the past, Crichton hasn't worried about the vending machines mm. therefore it makes total sense that this time he wouldn't worry about the vending machines, so there's a nice thing there that although um, Rimmer is uh, nasty and evil and saying things that are bollocks Crichton isn't 100% pure on this either Yeah, which is quite true to life and quite interesting yeah it's sort of well it's interesting that his policy is that the machine should break their programming and it feels like that's what it takes for Crichton Crichton makes a difference between um, machines that are just as are and mm. ones that have broken their programming and it says that's the way to improve yourself he says a bit about um when he met a vending machine that didn't know he could be anything more than a vending machine. Mm. It's a it's a trope that politicians use of, oh, I was talking to a normal person like you are. Um, but th- the implication there is that he thinks that the vending machines are beneath him, mm. which is perhaps yeah. not the message he wanted to get across. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. You know, you're only worthy of being treated like a human if you really try and improve yourself and yeah. get above what, which that's not <laughs> that's the correct tough. thing. Yeah, to I guess both, like, yeah, both uh, candidates are slightly to the right of centre, which makes it an American system. Because <laughs> <laughs> even the Democrats in America are a, are a bit right wing by our standards. <laughs> yeah. There's some very strange allegories they use for, uh, mm. especially technological as well, like. Uh, like the um, our files, technically <laughs> files until they're saved. Do they actually? Like, I love very, I, very, yes, that's, very. It's, it's clever, bold, but yeah, yeah, it's bold and clever, and doesn't do and doesn't go. It doesn't 
go too far. It, yeah, but I think it's it, a very interesting. It handles place it well. To go with, yeah, it does. And I think is that the one where the the answer from Rimmer is. I personally believe whatever you believe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because that's a perfect so, way to do yeah, it. Yeah, a handy way of sidestepping the issue. That's but, my yeah. favourite bit of the episode, I have to say, that bit. And it is... I like the fact that they went that far with it. But not too far. Yeah. it kind of, like Just to put in context of when we're recording this, <laughs> in the week when the uh, abortion laws were passed in Alabama... Um, and more horrible draconian laws are being proposed throughout the states, and so that is a very uh, pressing matter currently yeah. for us watching it. And uh, yeah, and thankfully, even in that context, it doesn't cross a line. No, it's no. No, it skirts it skirts around it and doesn't manage to do anything that's particularly dangerous. Or it's, it's just, just it's, it's a really it's interesting a, choice. It's like yeah. for a co- for a light hearted comedy show to put a, an allegory for the abortion debate in there is a bold thing to do and I applaud it for, for doing it and handling it well because yeah. as we've seen in other parts of the series see previous podcasts mm-hmm. <laughs> when a big issue is attempted in Red Dwarf it's not always handled this well I mean I suppose if we want to be harsh and I'm not actually particularly inclined to be harsh on it, hmm. but if you wanted to be harsh you could say well isn't it having its cake and eating it because even yeah. if you are pro uh, the uh, new abortion laws or, or restrictive abortion laws, then you can't get f- affected by that joke either because it's not actually making a joke about abortion. Mm, it's it's not. Joke. Yeah, it's not yeah. picking a side. So you could argue that by not picking a side, it's cheating. I'm really not inclined to see it like that. I'd, yeah, I'd, like, I yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to there being a, a strong. Um, pro-choice message in Red yeah. Dwarf, but at the same time, it's not the time and place, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if he'd if he'd spent five minutes going off on one of being pro-choice, I might have applauded. At kind first. of, <laughs> I might have. Yeah, I mean, I I'd think it's the kind of thing that I'd be saying. Well, I agree with you, Doug, but you could have just you know done yeah. some tweets. Yes, didn't yeah. need it. <laughs> you could you could have just done a a throwaway gag about how politicians yeah. say what people want to hear, which is what he did. Exactly. So That's considering that we've already got enough problems yeah. of what he's actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not make things up. <laughs> no, it's it is a very odd episode. <coughs> I watching it back, I kind of see it as uh, the crisis equivalent of the series. In that partly, and part of that is that I liked it at the time, but the longer time has gone on, it's is grown in my estimation. I think it's a bit of a sleeper hit, and at first with. Crisis in series eleven. I was saying that yeah, that's that's probably top half in terms of the episodes. Now it's my favorite unequivocally. It, Crisis is my favorite episode of series eleven, and I think Macocracy might be going that way for series twelve. Really? And I like despite the two that are still to come. Oh, uh, which are, that is yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'd all agree. And that, by interesting, we mean suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> we would all agree. I think that Macocracy um, is a top half episode, though. If this oh yeah. Is, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, considering the competition, <laughs> yeah, considering because I, I honestly, it's the first time I've seen it since it was broadcast. I really haven't <coughs> wanted to watch that episode because it just doesn't. Did you just have a, a sort of perception in your head about kind of what it was? Yeah, that was challenged when I, you watched it. It just, yeah, I think it was. It was the fact that I just expected it to be a lot more like. I just, I don't know, maybe it's just surface level kind of oh, it's politics and not really that. It, like doesn't really bother me like in an episode of Red Dwarf kind of thing, mm. but the way it was handled actually like surprised me, probably as much as it did the first time, 
but I'd forgotten. <laughs> because it's been that long since I watched it. It has been a year and a half since I watched it. Um, so yeah, I was I was fairly surprised by. There were some bits that still, like I know there was like the scene about the uh, promotion and demotion that was taken from another episode. I think it was from series eleven. Mm. It was redone, but it just felt really. It just went on too long. In in that episode, it's another one of those things where I know that Doug wants to use everything that he had because you know he's spreading. He's not spreading, but he's got he's got twelve episodes to make in his block. But it just kind of it goes on way too long for that scene. It's another one of those things where in an episode where he's already had a lots of like little like bits that go on quite a long time for the sake of a joke, then spending a lot of time on mm. something that isn't actually relevant. See, I know exactly what you mean. I don't think I mind it and the reason why I don't think I mind it is if you are going to do that joke you can't shrink it down because the whole thing has to be the list is lulled into the false sense of security. Yeah. So I think you either do that joke and take the length that it has or quite reasonably I think you say actually that isn't worth the running time no, get rid of it and do something else kind of but I don't it. think you can shrink it no I didn't no I'm not saying that it could be like improved by shrinking it down I just think that it's one of those scenes that just kind of it it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't help the plot um mm. it just kind of be, feels well I know that it's been taken out of one episode and put in another so it's that whole thing <laughs> of like even that my my kind of my bias knowledge is kind of it doesn't help that. Yeah, it's going back to the more sketchy um, elements of series one and two, yeah. which we'll reach Zenith in a couple of episodes time. Yes, <laughs> um, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, but macocracy for me, I'm not saying I don't love it. I've got a fair few problems with it, but one thing I really do like about it is. It feels like a, an early series-style episode. And it doesn't even feel like series two to me. It feels the closest we've had to a series one episode. Possibly ever, with the exception of Dear Dave. And that's got too many problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Mococracy is doesn't have those problems. So I kind of like the fact that... It's the kind of episode that I think um, we've always said we wanted, actually. We've often said, oh, why don't we go back to something that's like, you know, the early days? And why do you do this? And why isn't it all more dialogue in? Do we really have to have scenes where we've got mops being poked at mechanoids <laughs> at an expensive location? It's... So it's very, very insular. And I kind of wish I liked it a little more, but I admire the intent, certainly. It's the first episode. It's episode four of the series, and it's the first one where there's no baddie. Uh, there's no kind of... <laughs> external I mean there's the no the virus the virus that they get at the start which kind of kicks it all off mm. but there's no um they they don't come across another ship or a space station or whatever is there's no th- thing there the baddie if we want to look at the baddie is rimmer in this yeah. episode so they've done I was listening to some dwarf casts where we talked about exactly this um the they've done the goodies thing of this week our guest baddie is it isn't um Graham, it isn't Bill Oddie. This week it's uh, Chris Barry, is our <laughs> is our guest uh, guest villain of the week, um, which is always a nice way of doing it. Yeah, um, and it feels a bit weird. It, it feels to me like it's odd that it's it's taken four episodes to to do this. I, I think it would have worked better earlier in the series. I think it feels more like an episode two or three, not one. I don't think mm. it would work as episode one. 
it feels weird that it's taken until um because what have we got time wave there's very little stuff set on red dwarf very little stuff set on red dwarf in cured very little stuff set on red dwarf in siliconia yeah feels like it would be nice to solidify because one thing the episode does quite well is re-solidify red dwarf as our location in a way that we haven't had which is perhaps necessary kind of leading into skipper and the yes, things that it does true. it kind of you've had the adventure space the kind of stuff that you associate with sort of series five and six um and then starting with macocracy um we're getting more and more it becomes more about red dwarf yep. with the ship with macocracy because yep. you can say the same things about mcor and skipper to varying degrees yeah so the thing I I really enjoyed about the, this episode was the, the nostalgia element where everything felt like there's loads of clips and like little snippets used from other episodes that like that should be fourth wall breaking but they don't mm. they don't feel it doesn't feel like it's doing that it feels very organic. The yeah the implication is that <coughs> the what we what we as viewers see is Red Dwarf CCTV yeah security as, as such secu- like yeah basic security camera footage because it, it's got that shot of through. of. Crichton holding up the nanobots on his finger and his, yeah. <laughs> Rimmer is using that out of context. And like slamming his head against the thing in, um, in uh, quarantine yeah. and that kind of stuff. It's like, but it's really weird to see kind of older footage yeah. and again we'll come to that in, in Skipper as well but it's like the same thing of just that kind of, like for people who don't who haven't seen the older series, that might look really unusual to them but they'll be like, for us it's like it's kind of a nice little yeah. nod to I think classic the, the back end of, of series 12 I don't know how much of this was deliberate and how much it just ended up like that, but there's a lot of fan servicing type things. Mm. Obviously, there's the old footage, and of course, Talky Toaster in this episode, oh. and that obviously continues uh, for the remainder of the series. It seems like Red Dwarf, that that's Dave era Red Dwarf becoming comfortable with it being a part of the wider Red Dwarf thing. Is like they're not. It it's kind of reflects how people consume red dwarf and, and tv shows in general like for now if you're getting into red dwarf the whole of red dwarf is available to you yeah, yeah. so you know if you were coming to it fresh you wouldn't think of i mean you'd be able to tell the difference in in, in tape quality and one's widescreen and one's not but between bbc era and dave era it's kind of all one thing yeah. you know and it's the same process Doctor Who went through when it came back when they tried not to reference too much, only kind of big standout things like Daleks, say. Yeah. But they try not to. And then by the time you get to a certain point, you're seeing all the Doctor's faces yeah. and various things. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation went through the same thing. When it came back, they had a rule, we are not going to reference the old series, which they then broke in the second episode. <laughs> and then they stopped for a bit. And then they just got more and more comfortable. I think any show when it kind of comes back after a break has to go through this readjustment of yeah. we can't rely on the older stuff it, and then we finally get a little more comfortable. It has to establish itself in its own right first and then it can Yeah. I mean having said that it did all start with Back to Earth effectively but <laughs> but true. if you take series 10 as the, uh, as the true <coughs> starting point then that makes sense Yeah. Um, and yeah, Talky Toaster uh, Who... They both uh, shafted, didn't they? He was. He still ended up in the garbage. Yeah. Callista <laughs> <laughs> just completely lied about what would happen. Um, I found it. Uh, I think this probably reflects the change in production techniques uh, over the years. I really, really enjoyed um, the 
the parallel this being a, a sort of updated different version of the white hole scene so it follows the same structure of Lister's speech we don't want x we don't want y we don't want z and it was all different things mostly but then you call back and having perhaps baguettes and bagels in it followed the same patterns it followed the same structure and that was really nice i think it shows though if you compare the two scenes side by side the benefits of uh, having a week of rehearsals before you um shoot because uh, with just Craig's delivery on this, it's not that he doesn't know the lines. It's just that he he put some of his pauses are in strange places, like mm. he's trying to remember what it is sometimes, and it doesn't perhaps flow in quite as smoothly. It's like on the page, it's all there, and it's not a bad performance by any means, but it's just not as polished and rehearsed and practiced um, one, as the original. Yes, one thing that leaps to mind actually is that. Craig was coming in off the uh, um, the first time off the back of a career which involved him reciting poetry mm. um, and he as far as I know he hasn't really done that for a number of years and I, I imagine that would affect his vocal flow um, as well as you know obviously Getting older, yeah. <laughs> experiencing more things. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's easier in your 20s to be able to focus and do that, um, especially if you've done a lot of that kind of performance. Um, I do think that because I run into problems because I am not an actor and I cannot, I find it very really difficult to technically judge a piece of acting. It's a bit like directing. I tend to steer away from trying to criticise specifics of directing because I don't know <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, but I do feel that that's the root of a lot of my kind of slight cocky of head in recent Red Dwarf, that those performances are not bad, but they are not as polished and they're sometimes a little awkward or a little kind of... You know, I can kind of imagine a... Uh, a Chris Barry, for instance, in, in Full Flow in, in 1991, doing a line better Well, at now. The, and I find it a bit there. At the performances, at the at the recordings, a lot of the takes are quite stop-start. There's a lot of mistakes, mm. like a lot of mistakes. And obviously I wasn't at any of the ones in the old days, but um, it never feels that way. It feels like most of the time you're watching one continuous take of a scene, whereas in in the Dave era, you can tell that you're not, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and I, you know, it's just the way that the industry has changed for the worse, where you don't get the same amount of rehearsal time as you used to. And even, and even recording time as well. And, yeah. You haven't got time to but, do that one more take that you need to do. But yeah, um, I enjoyed it much more than I thought it would. And, and, and talking about it, it makes it me even, <laughs> makes me kind of, want to enjoy it a bit more mm. I, I feel like this might be one of the episodes that might grow me like grow crisis immediately got me and I grew on with it and it still and it still does Macocracy is not quite there yet but I can imagine I'm going to quite enjoy I, it I wonder what it is about, about both Macocracy <coughs> and crisis being standing out for me so much from their series and yet they're the ones that on paper <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing things that aren't very dwarfy yeah. which is Again, it's something that I, I try and steer away from as a criticism, but the people that complain about things being dwarfy or not say that these aren't. And it's I can't quite 
uh, it's kind of an off-brand episode in in many ways. It doesn't fit in with the rest of the series. It's not doing the same type of thing that the rest of the series is. Uh, so what is it about that that appeals to me? I can't quite articulate what it is. Is it just that they're trying something new? I was not about just, to say exactly that. Not just replicating... I think that's what it is. Because they replicate the glory days to varying degrees of success. There's episodes that are that are great in the Dave era and there's episodes that are not great in the Dave era. Um but is it like maybe regardless of the quality I just admire and things stand out when it's just you know you can't picture in the middle of series six um, them having uh, uh, doing a parody of an election campaign no, no, no. <laughs> it's something that wouldn't be done probably at any other point in Red Dwarf's history I know you said that it, it feels in many ways like it might have fitted into series one I think one, it's closest certainly but I still don't think it would slot exactly in anywhere else. I think what I can imagine, what Macrocracy feels like to me in terms of it being like Series 1, is that it wouldn't be in Series 1. It would be in Series 4 of Series 1 if Red Dwarf yes, hadn't changed. Hadn't developed, yeah. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Do you know the general impression I, I've got from... Actually, this, this particular series, um, in... Former series, they were, uh, or past series, rather, they were trying to. The, in in old Red Wolf, there tend to be a, an eternal journey back home. They were, or you know, Lister wanted to get back home mm. to Earth, and there seemed to be a lot of stuff driven towards getting back to Earth. Um, and they got the uh, special back to Earth, etc. There seem seems to be a different attitude in this series in particular, where there, there appears to be an acceptance that they're not going to be there. Mm. Uh, I think that changed with the beginning. Mm. Um, I think ending it on the slimes coming home and referring to Red Dwarf as mm. home um, cemented something that was touched upon in the novels, in mm. uh, backwards in particular, actually, so yeah. no correlation, because one's Rob and one's Doug. Um, but the idea that they, they've come to accept their fate now and they've yeah. come to they've come to see red dwarf as home and i think that is actually a theme intentional or otherwise of the latter half of of series 12 where you've got in macocracy you've got an episode where um like in the early days the machines on board are at the heart of it and it's entirely set within red dwarf and it's about the internal politics of their situation um with mcor it's about red dwarf like physically the ship it's about the ship the the plot and skipper is all about um rimmer finding a place where he feels like he's at home uh and it ending up back where he started so let's i think we're done with macocracy yeah, oh the one other thing that i like about macocracy is that uh is the thing with the cat and it links into something we were saying in uh in our discussion of time wave um, where he has that thing of a regular and a sitcom going on a journey and learning something and then undoing it. So there's the, the subplot with the cat wearing glasses, which seems like it's not really going anywhere. No. Um, but then in the end, there's a quite a good punchline to it of, of Lister saying, you've got to make a decision between improving yourself as a person and then before he even finishes saying it, cat is destroying his glasses. Yeah. I like that because it makes a virtue of the fact that the cast are the age that they are now. Yeah. It's not... Uh, it's showing that the characters have grown and developed with the passage of time. It, mm. it, it displays that it's not trying to just 
replicate what happened before. It's acknowledged that time has moved on. And then MCOR yeah. starts with its Lister's birthday. It's yeah. heavily implied that it's his 50th it's birthday. Very heavily <laughs> implied, yeah. Uh, and it's about him having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> or what we think is a heart attack. Yeah. Because this is the weird thing. When we were rewatching, I was like, wait a minute, it wasn't a heart attack. I remember it as being an actual heart attack. It wasn't. It was yeah. indigestion, wasn't it? Yeah. But it's still a great way to kick off an episode of your sitcom. First scene, the character <laughs> kills over what we think is a heart attack. is is going to be a good start by anyone's standards. Um, although it's, um, it's interesting that even though it's indigestion and not a heart attack, uh, they stick with the motif uh, when they uh, the implant starts talking about the state of Lister's arteries. Yeah. Which actually would be no big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's At fine. Point. I totally agree. I mean, I can yeah. imagine that his cholesterol levels are shit. But I mean, like, they, he's obviously not in, in, in danger of a heart attack, but they're and, still not great. I just love the fact that regardless of heart attack or indigestion, the first thing that happens is that, that Crank just gives him a massive plate of chips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An unreasonable amount of chips. He's like, it's something to do with your your cholesterol levels. It's like, I, I don't know where it's come from. It's like a massive cloth of chips. thing is, I totally buy that Lister, A, has indigestion, and B, is still at risk of a heart attack. Yeah. 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 Um, although it has um, a, a colleague of mine who is runs all the time, very skinny, very fit man, uh, has been warned about his cholesterol from his doctor. Oh, great. So there, there isn't necessarily a connection. No. But there also um, is. But there also is sometimes. <laughs> so there you are. So get GNT say get yourself checked or something. Uh, I, I think yeah. yeah, I think that's the general message, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, it's a great episode. It's yes. still my favourite of the Dave era, and I was worried going into it because I thought, oh God, I built this up to be really good, and it's my favourite one in X Y Z, and I just thought I'd come out disappointed. Actually, no. It's the, my favourite one. The remarkable thing is that it is satire that works, which isn't always a given yeah. um, in Red Dwarf. And the the targets are, are, are pretty obvious. Um, it's to do with the privatisation of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, the warnings about companies such as Google or Amazon or any of the big tech companies taking your data and using it to control your life. Also, there are, I mean, you can get uh, health insurance that is, rel- the how much you pay is reliant on how healthy you are yeah. and whether you go to the gym or not. Uh, all that sort of thing. And, and I think it's a, it's a timely warning about letting companies run amok in this area and yet unlike previous um topical or, or uh, pseudo topical elements such as call centers and stuff like that <laughs> it actually still works in the context of you know the yeah. the futuristic analogy that they've chosen still mm-hmm. it works within the red dwarf universe as yeah. well it doesn't feel tacked well, on it's a, it's yeah. a callback to Krieg, isn't it really? Yeah. Krieg uh, telling the crew that they don't have automatic rights to this, that, and the other, that they have to earn it. And we get a quick glimpse into how JMC operated. Mm. But the thing is, with, with Krieg and stuff, it's kind of fair play that they should earn a wage to get food. 
that's fine. But it's the draconian way that he does it. That's the thing is it goes, you know, like to the point where they're not used to it, and that's normal. That's what should be normal, but isn't normal. Whereas Mcar is much further, much mm. more, you know, oh, much the concept mo- extended. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it's taken to the nth degree. It's mm. it's that you know it's that whole thing of like this is this has been happening you know under your nose for the last three hundred years, but mm. you don't know about it because we didn't update the system. So Mcar took what Queen did and extended it. Is yes. that what we're saying? Yes, that's yeah. what. We're... Um, yes, it's the <coughs> commodify- commodification of your life on board yeah. Red Dwarf. Yeah. Um, and and sprinkled over all of this because it's all that stuff's great and amazing and it's one of the things I love most about the episode. But there's so many lovely details sprinkled over it and I know we talked about it before, but one of my favourite is still the beautiful puppeteering of Chippy. Yeah, I was gonna say exactly it, the same it's thing. It's so well done, it's so good. A proper comedy performance from just a from block a of machine. plastic yeah. <laughs> on yeah. a stick. Yeah. Um, I think all of the guys as well at various points do great invisible object acting <laughs> yes. like they all yeah. absolutely nail it uh, the sound uh, design on it as well yeah. uh, the foley on it is brilliant yeah, uh, yeah it's just everyone's on form yeah. in, in this episode good. And, and using that and, and, and making jokes out of the fact that you can't see X, Y and Z is it's, su- it's such a silly, stupid, and rude joke. There's two, yeah. It's, it's never not going to be funny to see Crichton waving around an invisible dildo, which is getting what it is. And then Cat's miming of, of, <laughs> of shaking, shaking up a can. A can. That motion is not... <laughs> in isolation, <laughs> that's brilliant. And then, so childish. And then I like it a lot. Those yeah. those lovely bit. I mean, if I have a big criticism of the episode, it's I could have done with five more minutes of Lister moping around the ship, just yeah, looking upset. It, I mean, when I say five minutes, maybe I don't mean five minutes, but oh, if they'd just been able to have even a minute more, because you're just getting into it when the show has to move on. Mm. And I can't get too upset. The show has to move on because it has so much to fill in. Yeah. They're not. Um, you, they're not wasting time no. at any point in no. this episode so they give it all the time it's got but if there was any Red Dwarf episode that I would say oh if only they'd have an extra 10 minutes it'd be this one it really sets in my mind the uh, description in the book after Lister mm. goes a little bit off the rails yeah when he comes back out of stasis and realizes on his own, and he basically walks around naked and starts fucking getting drunk, yeah, and just, just sleeping wherever he fell. It's a it's a painfully accurate at times depiction of depression. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, in think, in the book, not in M. No, 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 no. But there's that whole thing of isolation, and, yeah. and that that is really well put together, especially when there's nothing in the room other than him, and it's like that level of isolation. It's not even the fact that he's. And the thing is, even though he's he feels alone he's not alone but mm. everything else is still there and yet he that's how he feels and it's and to be able to combine that feeling of isolation with a great laugh of uh, an invisible man stealing his toast yeah it's like you can't have one without the other you no. wouldn't get to that laugh without having first having that sequence that uh, that makes you kind of forget that he's not alone yeah and we're seeing everything from Lister's point of view as well. It's a really good uh, lesson in um, the narrative, uh, the narrator, and the uh, what's the unreliable narrator type thing, where yeah. we are 
even though our perspective is not Lister's perspective literally, we're not seeing it through his eyes, we are seeing it through his mind. We, we have the same perception filter applied to us as the audience as he yeah. does. The That's way, like it's very deep. The way I see the sequence where Lister is alone, it puts me in mind of Dark Star. It, it also puts me in mind of Silent Running. Have you ever seen Silent Running? No. Um... I'm not going to sit here and give the synopsis of Silent Running, actually, because we haven't got time. But watch Silent Running. It is... If this was a film, and I actually genuinely believe you could make M-Core a film, um, it would suit a film running length. And you could have 20 minutes in a film yeah. of that sequence with Lister slowly going mad. And that feeling is very much evoked in films like Dark Star and Silent Running. To the Running. point yeah. where um, the him going a bit mad then would lead to him being more accepting of Mcor yes. of like being so desperate that he is. Cause it, well, one of a handful of criticisms, but um, in probably my only criticism in in plot terms really is. It seems to go a little bit quickly from Lister saying, "No, fuck you! I'm not going to give you all the money for this." Like obviously, when it comes to the pain and the fire extinguisher, that he needs to do it. Yeah. But then we kind of we skip a step or two of him coming coming to the conclusion. Oh, do you know what? Fuck it! I am going to spend uh, my life force on this because I'm sick of being alone and I'm sick of not having stuff. Yeah. Um, we have to kind of fill that in a little bit. You you would have the beat of him. Um, oh, who does Ray Peacock plays it? Steve. Yeah. So you would have the beat of him rejecting Steve, and ten fifteen minutes later, the beat of him buying Steve. Steve pops back up. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. Are I'll you actually, sure? Yeah. Oh, go on then. I mean, there's so many ways at every single point you could go with this. Um, yeah. With, it's with, one with of the episodes. There's, there's of so many. God, I actually think it could have been a two-parter. <laughs> like in, but this is something that we frequently say primarily about the the sort of classic series as opposed to the Dave ones. Yeah, is that wow? That's such a huge concept to use as the basis of a half-hour sitcom episode. DNA is the big example yeah, of that. When it could it could be a whole series in itself. Yeah. Um, I just I can't. The my only. My only real criticism of M-Core as it stands is the ludicrous uh, scene where we find out that women talk more than men, except that isn't true, and it's bollocks. And do you know what? And even if it was true, why bring it up? It's it's not only beneath Red Dwarf, it's beneath this episode of Red Dwarf. Yeah. Everything else about this episode of Red Dwarf it's needless. It's, a, it's, it's a very, so pointless. It's, it's not. It's not it's making any point. It's not even. Yeah. It's, it's not, not yeah. making a satirical point of any kind. It's not advancing anything. No. It's not helpful. The, it's just added to uh, previous discussions. It just. Yeah. It's just yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about it before, but the fact it isn't even true is the the real. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's two things that I thought happened in my... When I first saw the episode, I thought something was going to happen, and it didn't happen. And I watched it again, and I thought it was going to happen again. <laughs> and it's when um, everyone starts stops hearing... Like, he can't hear people. I thought the cat was messing with him the first time that happened. <laughs> I thought he was going to go, no, I'm only joking. Um, and then he would actually lose his voice. Oh. And I thought, I was like, oh, that's, that, I, I'm annoyed that that's not in there. So I really, really wanted him to be messing with him but, but to begin there, with. There's all kinds of weird things. So, I mean, we touched on it in the initial discussion, but when um, when when he first goes to M-Core land, for want of a better phrase, 
and we think that he's going to start working to try and earn credit, but there's no time for that. Mm. Again, no. this is what I mean if you have mm. it as a film. You'd have ten minutes of him trying working to earn credits, and then at the end of the day, you find out that he hasn't got any credits because he's fined for this and fined for that and fined for yeah. the other. He's breaking stuff. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ironic, actually, that the, the, the most well-developed plot of the series is the one that actually we haven't seen enough of from our point of view and that other episodes have time-wasting elements to them, mm. presumably because the plot hasn't really been expanded or, or thought about enough. I think as well is because that episode has such a big idea and it gets so far down that idea, yeah. the resolution feels really, really cut off. Mm. Like the whole yeah. buy, the whole buying a virus to kill it. It's like that is that really that is that is that how you kill that? It just I think you know what I quite liked that. I liked that really? more this time around than before, and I'll tell you why. Because yes, it's rushed, but it's rushed because they haven't got any time for something more involved. But I like the comment it's making, which is capitalism's weak point is capitalism. Okay. That's how I read that. Okay. It's saying you can fight capitalism if we want to fight capitalism by turning it against itself. Yeah. Okay. I can, Which I, can, yeah. I quite enjoy. I, okay. And I think if yeah, if there was just a little bit more time yeah. to flesh that out. It would be yeah. more satisfying. Yes. Yeah. No, it definitely but would. Yeah, I agree with John. I I don't mind that as much as I do other rushed endings because I can see that it's... I can see the point that is supposed to make if there was a bit more time. I yeah. think my probably my issue then is probably more the fact that it's a rush ending amongst many rushed endings. Yeah. <coughs> and it's just yes. another one. Well, and rather than it, it being it's the just only like, one. Uh, this episode was so close to being spot on. Yeah, I, it I really, to... really is. It so is. I have to say, I have one I have one opinion that I know no one will agree with me. I know I'm not <laughs> I know. In that case I'll just say you're wrong. Please now. do, because <laughs> I, I don't expect anyone to agree with me. But on my rewatch, I wasn't quite sure the first time around, and I'm really not sure the second time around. I am not that keen on the 20 whatever year old Lister and the trolley stuff going, you know, and recreating series one. And I'll tell you why. It's not that it's a bad idea in itself. I think, one, the CCTV filling in the gaps things are a little awkward, <laughs> and I don't know whether. The game's worth the candle there. Two, if you got rid of that scene, you have more time to flesh out the rest of the episode. And I don't know how much that scene is about any of the rest of the episode. I don't think it really fits in with any of the other points the episode is making. It's a very odd resolution to a problem. Yeah, and three, and I think most importantly, we have had enough fan service with the talky stuff in the previous episode. We will get bag loads of it in the next episode. I don't know whether we needed this instance. It's a bit odd in retrospect that you've got, yeah, three in a row of those moments when yeah. previously we hadn't barely had any. No, I'm not I'm I mean, I feel bad saying it because I I, no. I, I don't I that the thing is that moment is really loved. Yeah. I I I like I like that it's there. I understand I I agree with your Sentiment that it's, it's it feels like a very strange way to end the episode because it do, it does feel more for the fans than for the story, and but there's there's something with 
Rimmer earlier on where he has to remove a month out of Rimmer in order to order yes. to kind of it's, it, and I wonder if that was put in in order to make that later thing make more maybe, sense maybe because otherwise if that wasn't there Rimmer's thing wouldn't have made so any that, sense that's it was basically a month <laughs> it, like if uh, if Red Dwarf ever did Big Finish <laughs> if, Big, <laughs> if Big Finish ever did Red Dwarf then there's a month in between MCOR and Skipper where you've got a 23-year-old Lister in a 50-year-old Lister's body and Rimmer having to catch up on a month's worth of stuff to get his memory back. Oh, Lister yeah. would be so pissed off when he found out nothing worked down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but, I mean, look, I feel... I do... I stand by what I say, but I kind of admit I'm being a little churlish. And the episode is great. I love it. Yeah. I really do. Should I just drop drop a, a bomb and then run away? Go on. Why is the cat invisible to Lister? That was something that bothered me when I started to watch because it. Because I realised about the, the silencing thing. Yeah, I like, didn't understand why the, the cat was... Uh, that's why I thought it was fucking with him. Yeah. Because Crichton and Rimmer, yes, they are not MCOR products. Uh, but the cat, cat is a person. Okay, I have a theory. What This is my theory. What did cat live on? In the hold, <laughs> she said, because he his species evolved from eating non mcor food. Yeah, that's where I'm his, going. His species is there. Ah, maybe it is because um, mcor don't because it, it's mentioned that mcor own Earth and the human race. So maybe it's because they can own species <laughs> and they can own planets mm. uh, and presumably the inhabitants of the planets. And so, yeah, the cat race is not a race that MCOR owns. Okay, so I mean, it's interesting <laughs> because the episode feels emotionally true. Yeah. I'm willing to do X, Y, Z to get to where they're going. Although there is also a bit where Cat reacts when Rimmer disappears and he shouldn't because he shouldn't have disappeared for Cat. He only disappeared for Lister. Uh, yeah. when you get to now. that stage uh, it's probably time to move on to the next episode <laughs> which is Skipper um, was the highest rated new episode in the silver in the pearl pole mm-hmm. uh, I think that yeah the highest rated Dave episode in the pearl pole yeah um, I think generally we prefer Encore yeah. <laughs> as yes, a group, I but so. I do love Skipper. Skipper mm. is very close. Yes, it's, good, uh, it's, it's got. I can't it's decide. Which, it's it's a game of two halves. Is Skipper? Um, <laughs> it has two basically two plots, yeah. <laughs> just sort of uh, the back end of one and the front end of another welded together. Um, but all the the stuff with um, the decision making going wrong is just spot on. It's oh, exactly nice. the kind of thing that. Red Dwarf is one of the very few shows ever in the world that can do, and and especially one of the very few comedies that can do it. My my favourite bit of all of that, yeah, and it's only because of Danny's performance, is the um, I'm not making you breakfast. <laughs> Cut to him shimmying <laughs> at the oven. Um, it, what what I what I really like about Skipper, um, and I'll get to my problems later on. What what I love about the opening of Skipper, the first half is. MCOR, I can tell you exactly why I like um, MCOR, and it's mainly the superb idea behind it, and then everything follows from that. Skipper, obviously the opening is a really good idea, but I know I'm quite extreme on this, but it feels like Doug Naylor has suddenly, to me, learnt how to write funny dialogue, like consistently funny dialogue, over and over and over again with four his four main cast members 
There's no guest cast. Yep. Um, there's no big issue that you can say, oh, no, that's a very interesting one. It's just fun Red Dwarf. And I look at it and go, but this is weird because, like, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I wasn't responding to mm. any of this bit of Red Dwarf, this four characters saying funny things to each other. And all of a sudden, it's like, what was Doug Naylor on this week? I love this bit. This yeah. is really good. Why can't the show be like this abundance. all the time? Yeah, and it is. It's just... It could... Almost, it's one of those it could almost slot into any era mm. it's it's timeless and it's so it uses the characters um, to get jokes like the fact that it's the cat that's having yeah. to do all the all the donkey work and cat's so stupid so he keeps it again this is how it's true to character in a way that in time wave was not too true to cat's yeah. character or indeed true to Lister's character. Here, of course, Cat's stupid enough to make the mistake again and again and again. And then when he tries to be clever about it, he gets his double negatives wrong. Yes. <laughs> and of course that would happen. I think the the key thing you mentioned is it's fun. Yeah. It's so much fun, that yeah. bit. And just like, we've all probably got our favourites. I'm a big fan of Lister saying, I'm not going to actually eat that. <laughs> He's in real pain. <laughs> I mean, it's desperately it's, jamming the, the toast into the egg. And, and, it's, well. and I forget that that happened. And it takes you by surprise so quickly. And it just, it's so totally rewatchable, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. And the jump cuts, there's the other one with uh, Crichton saying, I'm not going to just mention this to the crew just yet. And then cut to him <laughs> announcing through the whole ship. <laughs> Taking the, like, completely the opposite of what he absolutely wanted to do. And it's so fast and I love jump cuts that just do that well, so it, well. The timing of, of them, I think, yeah. The being, editing is absolutely yeah, spot on for that. for the editing, which, you know, we criticise uh, the direction of the yeah. show sometimes, but there's times when it's absolutely spot on. Yeah. And it, what's brilliant about it is it's taking an idea that they had in Back in the Red Part 3 and done it properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which sometimes I criticise David Red Dwarf for taking an idea they did superbly <laughs> and doing it less well. Mm. But this time they take an idea more or less that they did in part, uh, just, and just do it brilliantly. Uh, yeah, it's a lot better this time and a lot more thought through, a lot more. This is a it's quite an it's quite a quite a tricky concept to get your head around as well, like to initially, and when you have to explain to the whole fork theory and they're going for the other fork, it's like there's that the other fork, fork, <laughs> <laughs> the other fork it, it, in the road, and it's yeah. It's, it feels like the ultimate deconstruction of the bicycle joke. It's kind of yeah. Doug looking at comedy yeah. almost yeah. and saying, "How far joke. can we stretch?" <laughs> Which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's the sort of you won't get me into that bath to man in bath <laughs> yeah the, the bicycle joke as an actual space time event it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really happening to them yeah. it's it's actually bizarrely enough the equivalent um almost of heidi high doing an entire episode about um analyzing innuendo i did a whole episode and you know you've got um you got uh someone saying the thing with ted isn't it isn't just innuendo he says it. <laughs> Stuff like that. But it's at Heidi High looking at comedy. And this is a Red Dwarf and it's looking at comedy and analysing it. Oh, just, oh, yeah, it's good I really, really like it. And then there's the other half, yeah. which I moaned about bitterly last time. 
and it didn't bug me as much this time. But, but not to make you too happy, I think the reason it didn't bug me as much because I knew it was all coming and I was like, right, whatever, let's just go with it. See, the thing I is, think it's expectations. I still have a problems with the second half. Very weird because when I first when because I, I saw this episode being recorded, and I remember walking away from that thinking. I thought that was really unusual, and I don't know if I liked it. <laughs> and it's—I think it's just because of the context hadn't really sunk in properly about. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, that—that that was like a, that was like a fever dream. <laughs> Watching the rat do its thing on stage. Like What's that shot fever. in front of you? The yes. whole rats are yes. amazing. Yes. So yes. yeah, it was all the obviously the the Holly and Hollister was all pre-record. Uh, Holly wasn't. Holly was done. Oh yes, yes. Holly yes, was yes. done live. Pre-record was Hollister, and then they had the so, yeah, so stuff. So yeah. So meanwhile, while Chris was doing that, um, Danny was getting changed, and, <laughs> and right, all yeah. the fast bits towards the end of the sequence, presumably, was all that pre-record. was pre-record as well. Yeah. yeah, there was the only bit. I think the other bit that was the pre-record was the, the on the set was the reveal of the older series one set. Ah. That was done, and live. you can because pan you, it. You can, you can it hear here. the audience reaction to it the way that they pan out, and because it was all kind of closed off, you couldn't see it. Oh, please tell me about that. How did they do it? Was it all behind? I think it was kind of it was curtained off until we could see it. Until see, it was perfect. That's exactly what you people... could see bits of it, like from the top, because we were in the gantry. But other than that, they couldn't. I think. I'm, I, well, actually, no, I probably didn't. An awful lot of sitcoms were not have bothered. Uh, closing it off to the audience. That's the thing and is the well, fact that they bothered doing it, they got the reward with the audience reaction on the reveal. Yeah, the thing is, if, they, if that, the, because it was a Red Dwarf fan base that basically was the audience, if it had been just a normal lottery of audience, they probably mm. wouldn't have bothered. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, you can you can hear the reactions. Specifically, you can hear, um, I can hear Je- Jez Harrison <laughs> of the official Red Dwarf fan club very clearly. <laughs> and a, I love it. I love that I can hear him in it. Here's a question. The rat costume. Yeah. Was that... Yeah. built for Red Dwarf or is that an existing costume? <laughs> Hell yeah, I have no That idea. was uh, Danny John Jules' own. He's a, he's a furry. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that might have been just some... I, I can't imagine it being built for... It looks too good, let's face it. It it's, looks too expensive. Too expensive, yeah. I mean, he, when, you know, it's quite an expensive episode. There's, like, there's lots of sets. There's... Um, Lots of guest characters. It's yeah. It's and nice even, that it's, even, it's sorry, money man. well spent. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike Siliconia's yeah. climax. Yeah. Well, the thing is, also, we they, they did also they did also kind of use the the fact that even though they had quite a lot of sets, they did use the fact that they didn't have a lot of sets as well. Just Redressing, the, changing the, the colour yeah. of the lighting behind Rimmer was denoting another universe. Yeah. Uh, am I correct in thinking they painted the corridor red just for this episode? I don't recall the corridor looking that red before. Am I Not sure? If I'm wrong, edit this out. If I'm right, edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> can we? Can Otherwise, we t- leave it. Can we talk about? Can we talk about Mr. Rat again? Because yeah. I, oh, I, I mean, I really, really when, enjoy that. That does not get old no, every time not. you watch it. It does not. And the gong, the timing of hitting the gong. <laughs> absolutely flaws me every single time I see it. An unbelievable sequence of decisions made (laughs) on on all levels, but the the end product... It is. It's the chili chutney sandwich. <laughs> it's yeah. like, on it's... on paper, everything that they do there is designed to set alarm bells ringing in in cynical red dwarf fans like us. But <laughs> it's just incredible. It, it's, yeah, the, it's the just the key perfect. to it is that that scene has to be wrong, <laughs> because the whole reason that Rimmer is not going to stay in that universe is because it has to be 
an incorrect universe for yeah. a dwarf. Yeah, it has to if be that had just been Danny John Jules made up as a rat, that's not enough to want to leave. Yes, no. it just it, would have grimaced and stayed. If it was, yeah, if it was instead of acting like a cat, it was a humanoid-looking person that acted like a yeah. rat. It'd He'd squint yeah. and go, oh, yeah. well, it's button. just a giant rat <laughs> instead in a fur coat <laughs> and bling, <laughs> and on four decks and cuddling up. <coughs> to everyone he's a warm and snuggly uh, and, and the head my favourite thing that slightly too big head that just keeps looming <laughs> it's just slightly too much into people's it, it, eye line and he has to rotate his entire head as well like it, he can't just it's move a brilliant the performance. it really does remind me of uh, Monty Python the meaning of life when uh, Eric Idle's got the tiger head yes. and he's turning his head towards like trying to react and it's the fact that he's just like constantly just seeing just like just doing this and He's doing anything. He's just looking at the person who's talking, but there's something so wrong about what you're it, looking it at. Feels, it feels very fitting that rats would get bigger, would start talking, but wouldn't actually be asked to take on anything other. <laughs> In terms of humanoid form, no. they would they yeah. want to stay rats. Yeah, they, they evolved. They wouldn't evolve to need anything else than other than to just be bigger than they are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to... Have we... Managed to put to bed the problem that uh, that the 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 charging the unit has to go through no. is inconsistent. Yeah, I don't think there's a resolution to that. It's like yeah, it's very clearly set up in advance. Be careful, Mister Rimmer, because uh, you know it's it requires recharge time between uses. Yeah. Except when it doesn't. Except when, yeah, you need <laughs> Except after the very first one it, and yes. no others. And the reason why that charging unit is... The reason why that one is... I assume that that's there is purely for the first jump. Yeah. Because so that he can't just... Up that tension. So he can't just escape the radiation leak straight away. That's <coughs> really a bit of tension there. Yeah. But then after that, there's ones where he leaps in and then leaps out literally a second later. Didn't someone <laughs> suggest that the radiation actually just charged, fully charged the unit? Uh, if you if you like. I, don't know, it's, I mean, yeah. we'll it's go with com- that. It's completely made up. There is absolutely nothing <laughs> to suggest that that was anywhere near the mind of the, of the writer, but okay. Um, I mean, you know, I, I don't think I <laughs> don't think yeah. it would be an improvement to yeah. when it cuts to the next universe. Remo looks down and goes, "Ooh, fully charged." <laughs> I think that would be have been an error. I just yeah, it does, and for some reason it doesn't matter, and yet that yeah. kind of stuff usually bothers me, and that doesn't. So yeah, it me. doesn't bother me because it's for the benefit of the comedy and the story um, in all instances. And the lack well, of glass in the escape. Um, Hatch. Yeah. It didn't bother me as, as much as it did first time I watched the episode. <laughs> so annoying. I, I can't. Went, mm, I can't okay. tell there whether <laughs> there's supposed to be glass there and there just isn't. Like, it's like in the in the to... in universe, is there glass there? It's just that they didn't. It's like they didn't build the glass in. Are we supposed to think that it's just really, really see-through glass, or is there supposed to be no glass there? I think <laughs> not even Hollis is stupid enough to try and launch an escape pod with no glass <laughs> yeah. and end up being sucked through it, or at least his arse getting trapped. Oh, maybe that's where they was going. Yeah, he's so fat that he can survive. Well, it. <laughs> they did the it's a four-seater, so there's only room for me, guy. Yeah. Which, oh, We're allowed to make these jokes, by the way. Matt McDonald said it's fine. <laughs> he, he's gave us permission. So yeah. right. <laughs> Speaking him. as a minority. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. I, the only the only thing that... What does bug me a little more, and we did talk about this a bit at the time, the fact that there is no reference to the events of Dimension Jump. 
Yeah. I, Especially if you call the episode Skipper. Yeah. <laughs> I I find that a little odd. In and, fact... And I think you could have mentioned it, because the thing is, it is a different idea to Dimension Jump. Yeah. One is someone... It's our Rimmer skipping through universes, not a different Rimmer skipping through universes into ours. Therefore, it's a similar story, but told from a different point of view. You can We're get not, away with it. Yeah. It's fine. But we need some line or two just to and In kind fact, of... there's, there's bits that contradict uh, it, really, because they there's jokes about how unlikely it is that they'd ever find a version of Rimmer where his life's going well. But they, yeah. they've met at least two and know that the, the the existence of millions of them around that badly CG composited planet. See, that's the bit. And I, I yeah, that's the bit that makes me just kind of... It's, it's like... Remace. Wouldn't surprise me if they had something can in I just, that was cut. That is the second time that you've pronounced the word grimace. <laughs> oh, is it? Is it? Grimace. Grimace. It, I've always said grimace. I think, yeah, I? Grimace. You said oh, grimace earlier. Yeah. Big time. Gr- no, well, sorry, I, just I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know English. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I've fallen down on my duty here. I'm normally the one correcting it. That, that me There's by. only so much you can do, Tony. <laughs> don't sweat the small stuff. I used to say Wednesday. <laughs> day. You said preface as well. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Anyway. Preface, yes. Yeah. Do you know what I like about um, Captain Hollister's cameo? Is that the last image probably ever that we'll see of Captain Hollister in Red Dwarf is him being burned <laughs> to death in a nuclear explosion. <laughs> I just think that that's an unusual oh, no. way. But it's very underwhelmed because, oh, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so It's Hollister. quite unpleasant, isn't so, it? There's, there's, yeah, I think that would be the reaction of a lot of people, though, because it's one of those it's, things where you go... Yeah, there's something I can do about this. Yeah. That's that. <laughs> uh, I really, really hated the extended Everybody's Dead Arnold bit. The bit where they just do the whole scene. Not one reference. <laughs> one reference I would have been totally happy with. Actually, my least favourite thing in the whole of Skipper is, right, okay, we've got that joke. Are you still doing it? All right, well, that's... Oh, you're still. Do- oh, you're doing the whole scene, are you? Okay, well, thanks for that. That was a waste of my I fucking think time. I quite enjoyed that bit because uh, it took me, and it doesn't matter how many times I watch it because it was the same yesterday. It took me uh, most of Holly's appearance to get over his appearance. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time it got to that bit, I was like, oh yeah, I'm on board now. Um, I've got used to him looking like my, a testicle. My- my take on it really is I I can understand why John's irritated by it. On the other hand, if you're gonna do it, you may as well fucking do it. Yeah. It's, the only ta- <laughs> it's the only time he's ever gonna do it and, and get it and use it. So fucking do it. You might as well just. Yeah, but I, I saw, lord, done now. I saw it back in 1994 <laughs> when I first watched it. I don't need to see it again. <laughs> Some people saw it earlier than that. Well, quite. Um, <laughs> I, 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 if we're going to be nice about Norman Lovett, which I know is a rarity, <laughs> I thought he captured something in his performance in Skipper that we haven't seen in a very long time. Yes, yeah. yes, he uh, good. Yeah, yeah, it was it was better than Series Eight, Holly. It was better than Series Seven, Holly. Yeah. Um, and it was better than remastered Holly. But was it better than Beat the Geek, Holly? <laughs> and that is a genuine question because he can be very funny in that. Yeah. And. At the risk of sounding patronising, I think it probably is patronising, but I'm going to carry on. Um, that I think that is actually something to be proud of when you start to get to the age where Norman is now. Mm. Because, like it or not, you know, you're... 
it's I mean not only is it actually fucking difficult to recall exactly how you might have played a character all those years ago but to be able to get your body and voice and everything to sync up and do all that we've seen that's more of a challenge we've seen an awful lot of young mr grace recently yes uh, that Uh, is that is a good example that is a you can see it deteriorating (laughs) as the series goes on it wasn't that good to start with what is uh, are, you being, are you being served is the owner of the store and are you being served and he is young Mr Grace is very old, very that, old. that is literally that, the joke oh the, I thought it was a show called young Mr Grace no no no, 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 no. Yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was like rock and chips that's what I thought we've been watching a lot of are you being served that's why we're talking about young Mr Grace and the joke is that young Mr Grace is old that is the joke but it is funny but I would I would say even you know personally speaking I don't think I'm as fluid as I used to be <laughs> and I there's loads of times yeah. going what's what's that fucking word what what, uh, what uh, <laughs> well, the thing is as well visually Holly quite suits looking quite old actually mm. can I clarify um, that my issues with Holly's appearance are not to do with Norman looking older. I think that Holly in that looks worse than Norman does in real life. <laughs> I think it's the it's the lighting and the yeah. makeup that it's I have the, an issue with. It's a bit with. unforgiving, it's isn't it? It's the brightness. Yeah, and, the, and the and yeah, it's the overexposure. Yeah, it just looks incredibly like, also, harsh. It is but harsh. The HD is harsh. I think is it because they're filming a monitor. Possibly. And it's taken, and it's because of I don't know. Is it to do with because they obviously filmed because they did film that as it is. Mm. They have a camera pointing at a monitor showing a feedback. So I wonder if it's just some loss of generation through an LCD screen. I mean, actually, um, Chris Barry didn't look that great when he was Holly. In, That's uh, it, he had the same problem. problem. He had That's the same true. problem. Same problem. Yeah. yeah, so it was the same level of brightness and, and overexposure yeah. that you saw. So yeah, maybe. So yeah, brilliant first half that we have very little qualms over. A few question marks about the the second part of it. The thing about the um, don't mention skipper having variable charge times doesn't bother me that much because it's for the benefit of the of the plot and for the comedy. But what does bother me is I still feel like uh, Rimmer's character journey in this episode doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite stick the landing. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. I think that I'd feel a lot more positive overall about this episode and like it's it's get to the point where it's like because the first half is pretty much faultless it's just a little tweak at the end which would make this one of the best episodes of all time but like potentially that might be going a bit far but it's certainly one of the best outside of the bubble episodes uh, if not the best is if there was just a little bit more I wanted Rimmer to come to the conclusion that he wanted to belong with our crew, yeah. rather than him exhausting all other options and winding up there by default. And I can't deny that maybe, maybe the like you want to do a universe where List is the captain because that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if it would have been better if that wasn't the universe where virtually everything else was perfect. Like if. Because that's the that's the thing that makes him go home. Everything about this universe is perfect for him, except the fact that Lister is successful. Yeah, I might have wanted a universe where everything is perfect on paper for Rimmer, and then he realizes, but 
I mean, this is cliched and goopy, so it wouldn't be this, but better than this. But basically him going, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but without Lister and Cat and Crichton, they're my friends. Uh, my life isn't actually better because they're not here. And then he goes back. Like, it sounds awful as I say it, but a journey of that sort where Rimmer makes a conscious decision to go home with the crew so it's, would it's, have been my preference. Okay, so it's sort of self-realisation rather than resignation. Yeah, okay. rather than I can't live here because this, because I don't want to be below Lister in the pecking order rather than I want to be with Lister. Or I'm sounding like a, a Tumblr user here, but you know what I mean. Or yeah. that he is so bored by... Everything being perfect. Yes, that See, he has to that go he back realizes. to where there's conflict and that things is, for him to think about. That is one thing I was thinking of, but the thing you've got to be careful of is I do not buy Rimmer leaving a universe where, we, where he gets to have regular sex. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Any circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> I do. No, he's married with four kids, so he's not having sex anymore. <laughs> 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 All the sex is in the past for him now. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I agree. I think um, the thing that really upset me um, quite a lot, and it upset me so much because I enjoyed the rest of the episode so much, is that, as you say, it doesn't stick the landing, um, and it still doesn't. I minded less this time around because I knew what was coming, so mm. I'd kind of come to terms with it. I think if this is the last television Red Dwarf that we ever get, and we don't know, but I wouldn't bet against that at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, then. It would be nice to have left on a note. The problem is, is that Doug slightly paints himself into a corner with the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> he did what what might be the perfect yeah. uh, open ended ending uh, two series ago now. Yeah, <laughs> so he didn't have to worry about that. And I think 11. I think that's where I'm coming coming from in the in terms of deciding what home is angle because that's what the beginning did so well as you yep. mentioned um what it does well as an ending to this particular series um is that there's a a cyclical thing going on uh, a book ends um cured opens with them playing poker uh, and then Skipper ends with them playing poker it's yeah, like it's Rimmer's come back home and here he is and he's in exactly the same situation that he was at the start yeah yeah I was about to mention that and I think just but while it's not sort of, it's quite bittersweet, but it's the fact that, you know, Lister's last line saying, you know, Infinite One are good enough. Mm. Like, that for Rimmer is like, that says a lot about Rimmer. It's like, he just he just can't be pleased. Yeah. He just can't <coughs> be pleased. No matter what you do, he just cannot be pleased. It's just it, like, t- t- given, a, given an infinite amount of possibilities, he's still in happy. And mm. that just says a lot about the character. So Yeah, it may, it's, yeah it's, maybe, yeah, maybe my goopy ending would have been not quite true to the character of Rimmer. But, it, yeah, but but the but the fact that, you know, the, there's there's character development and then there's 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 keeping the status quo and I think this still keeps the status quo. Yeah, sure. uh, either way the, the interesting thing is that when Doug Naylor had to write an what could have been an ending for uh, Red Dwarf, he wrote a Rimmer story. And then when mm-hmm. he had to write another ending uh, related to uh, uh, Red Dwarf, he chose another Rimmer story, yeah. and I think that's telling. If there was to ever be a third ending, wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't yeah. surprise me if yet again it was another yeah. Rimmer story. I mean, if yeah. there is another series, yeah. I mean, Rimmer, Rimmer is the more the deepest of the characters. Well, as I've argued on Ganymede and Titan, he yeah. is Gan- Red Dwarf. Ganymede and yeah. Titan, what's that? <laughs> he is. He is. Uh, the, he is the more, more multifaceted. 
yes. feature of the of the group. I mean, like Lister has has a lot of pure things, but that can that can sometimes block you in a lot of ways. Whereas Rumor has a lot going theory, on. possibly to be continued on a different dwarf list. Uh, Rimmer is the protagonist of Red Dwarf, the TV series. Mm. Lister is the protagonist of Red Dwarf, the books. Mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Good That's good. There. I'm on board with that. Okay. I ship that. <laughs> I, I, just in case uh, we forget, I can't let this uh, dwarf cast go without using the phrase space chums. Oh, yeah. <laughs> space, chums. <laughs> space chums. I mean, I don't even know how you come up with that that phrase but I'm very pleased he did <laughs> that does sound like something Craig would come up with <laughs> again it sounds like one of those phrases that he'd come up with like hello chat and it was nice to see because um, wasn't wasn't didn't Craig do that character in the series 8 deleted scene <laughs> kind of yeah the mustachio similar kind of thing yeah. so it's nice to finally see that on screen it's kind of weird I I I feel so differently about the second half of the series to the first. Yeah. Like, so oh, yeah. differently. Yeah. That's what, yeah. I mean, that's what, <clears throat> when me and Danny were w- watching it through, we basically, we had a little, uh, we like, we had loo breaks and stuff, but other than that. Loo breaks? Lo- we had lewd breaks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, we pretty much watched it in the, in the space of probably about three and a half hours. <laughs> and it's a three hour series. Uh, and yeah, if it, Thank God the second half. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it, w- it was. It would have been a, a bit of a drag, I think, if the quality had remained on a par throughout. But it's really weird how you can just split it directly down the middle. And I, and this is as someone who concluded that they like cured and probably like siliconia overall. Mm-hmm. Although the discussion that we did have uh, <laughs> may have persuaded me that I don't. <laughs> uh, but even even if you. Even if you're someone that kind of likes the first three episodes mm-hmm. to varying degrees, the second three are just... I'm not going to say objectively, because it's not, but they're just like quite clearly on a different level, Yeah, yeah. I'd say. And it makes me wonder why they decided on that particular um, broadcast order. Well, I, you, you can't always tell how things are going to be received, and I doubt that that would have been intentional. But maybe we... Like, I don't know how much of it was intentional, but the, we have identified themes, haven't we? Of yeah. like, as the like after the halfway point, it becomes about Red Dwarf mm. uh, was one of the thing more so, and it has the adventures, and then it comes home and has adventures set at home. There's the book ending thing. There's Helium Seven being set up in Time Wave yeah. and then resolving in Skipper. Um, so well, maybe that was the thinking behind the ordering. Well, here's an interesting question then, extrapolating from that. Extrapolating. Is Series 11 and Series 12, are they two distinct entities, do you yeah. think? Or do you <coughs> think you could take episodes from 12 and 11 and mix it all up? Well, ignoring the fact that there are small differences in the in the sets... <laughs> Which we can ignore because they did when they reshot the <laughs> reshot the ending of Twentica on the series twelve set, yeah. and have that appear in episode one of series eleven, yep. and then it revert back for the entire rest of the series. Um, no, yeah, I think it's the closest possibly ever um, that the two series of Red Dwarf feel and look the same. Yeah. Um, series one and two are obviously very similar, but there are there are differences in this type of stories being told um, yeah. throughout three, four, and five. Even though the sets are the same, 
um, the types of stories being told change and also superficial things like um, the quality of the tape stock changes and uh, the direction is very different in series 5 obviously 6, 7, 8, Back to Earth and 10 all completely different from each other <laughs> like could not be more different from each other yeah. and then finally 11 and 12 actually feel like a coherent part of the same series for the first time in a long yeah. time it's interesting. Isn't it? it does, feel like, a, it does we feel like kind a set of twelve, but it's it's not hard to separate eleven from twelve, but you can see how <clears throat> it's it, it's difficult because before we watched them all last night, um, uh, Tom, who lives here, was asking about certain episodes, and I couldn't tell him whether it was eleven or twelve that they were mm. in, and that says something because there's, there's this block because it was so quick the turnaround of those two series. They do feel like as if they are of the same type. I think the only differences that you can pinpoint between them are cosmetic. Yeah. I think in terms of the the writing, uh, the types of stories being told, and the characterization, it's all cut from the same cloth. Yeah. I mean, if our Starbucks not in it, then it's twelve. If it has, then it's eleven. That's yeah. how I, <laughs> I can tell the difference. By which you mean. The wireframe. I mean, the wireframe on the TV. If you can see that at any point, it's probably eleven. If you can't see it, it's twelve because they didn't use it on twelve <laughs> to make it look different. Because they got a designer in and had some proper booth. <laughs> uh, so the question then is, which is the superior series, eleven or twelve? And I find that very difficult. I think I, I think it has to be twelve just for MCO. <laughs> I think main. if you're judging it on uh, a sort of average score for the episodes within it. Then probably twelve, mm-hmm. and if you exclude time wave, definitely twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it drags it down. It's, so it's kind of hard so because fucking hard. The, with the difference between eleven and twelve, the highs are nowhere near as high, but also the lows are nowhere near as low. That's a good point. Um, on a on a median <laughs> average series, eleven <laughs> is probably the best. But the, the weird thing is though, and this isn't quite a comment on the quality of the episode, but. I, I found Time Wave a, a slightly easier watch than Can of Worms. Really? Yeah. But I hate Time Wave more, I think. But Can of Worms, I find myself drifting away quite readily. Whereas with Time Wave, actually, I've got to be honest, I'm relatively engaged. I'm just kind of hate-engaged. <laughs> Okay, yeah, from that perspective, I thought you meant that you know you were comfortable with the content more. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no. In terms of an easy watch, as in uh, following it and giving a shit. Yes. I mean, I still can't tell you. What, uh, it's not just that, though. I can't tell you what Can of Worms was about because it starts four or five different stories mm. and then stops. Whereas with Time Wave, it's all quite coherent. It's just coherent in a way I don't like. Yeah. But it does mean my brain can kind of grab hold of things and say all right okay so uh 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 uh, yes i don't like that um in in that respect then yeah 12 is more successful because the stories are more coherent Mm. even if they go places that we would rather they didn't and it's definitely yeah the stories are are coherent and engaging and unusual and i think a lot was made at the time about the um, from the set reports and stuff saying Series 12's really out there yeah, compared yeah. to Series 11. Yeah. And I think there is a difference there. Yeah. Um, Richard Naylor, definitely, and I think Doug as well, but I can't quite remember, but definitely at least one of the Naylors has, has said 
that you know that was never our intention we didn't yeah. we, we didn't mean it for, for it to be that way that, that yeah. it's been overstated but i think if you look at the evidence of it like you've got an episode where hitler is a main character <laughs> you've got an episode where everyone's crying you've got an episode where you've got that um then you <laughs> Then you've got an episode that concerns itself with um, the politics of the ship and doing a parody of political adverts and political discourse. Um, Then you've got an episode where everyone's invisible. And then you've got an episode where Holly and Hollister are brought back and you're skipping... It it is... The things that happen within the series are out there. I think you can agree on both things. I think you can say that it was overstated and... That it is a little more real. out there, yeah. And yeah, and I, I don't disbelieve obviously when when Richard says that it wasn't intentional, uh, you know. But maybe it's an unintentional consequence of writing twelve episodes in one go. By the time you get to the last few, you, you know. I mean, it, it would be really interesting to see where the series went from here because when you got to series eleven, I mean, it ended with can of worms, and I was kind of like. Well, six more episodes to go. I hope they're better than that. <laughs> um, with Red Dwarf Ten, I I had problems with that series. I and the beginning felt like an end, and I was kind of like, eh, "Let's see what happens." But if this is the end. I'm kind of fine with it. It would be interesting, at the very least, to see where Red Dwarf could go from here. Mm. And I say that as someone who is not a fan of uh, the vast majority of the Dave Era episodes. But the last two Dave Era episodes that we've seen are MCOR and Skipper. And for the first time, I'm vaguely intrigued yeah. to see <laughs> what Don't go overboard. could actually Fucking happen. <laughs> uh, well, that's as <laughs> much as you're going to get from me. I'm vaguely intrigued. Whoa. Whoa. That's, that's as much as you're going to get from me, buddy. I mean, from my from from what I've been talking about in previous broadcasts, that is a step up. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and and it, would be, it would be interesting to see where they went. And it seemed that when, certainly when they were made and when they were broadcast, that it never felt like we never had to do the thing of if it ends with Skipper, will we be happy with it? Because we just assumed that it wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, damn, it's a better final episode than only the good, isn't it? There's no way I mean, around yeah. that. I mean, yeah. There's no way. And that that served as the last episode ever for ten years. And if yeah. we've got if we've got ten years of Skipper being the last episode, then I'll kind of take I think, it. I think they've learned <laughs> the lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they've known how to end the series at least yeah. properly. Yeah. Not on a bloody cliffhanger. <laughs> so that is was. Series twelve. Tis was. T- that's tis was. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so episode by episode commentary is coming in what twenty twenty four something like that. Yeah. Something twenty five past eight. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, don't hold your breath on that. <laughs> We've done. Oh yes, we've got eleven. To, oh God, no. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this won't be the last time uh, that we're talking about Series 12, of course, but for now, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton, okay. so this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Yes, thank you for listening, and until next time... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to G&T Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.